This is Dick Monda. I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 554 of On Screen and Beyond, the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take you back to 1971, and there was a song that came out called Chickaboom, Don't You Just Love It? Well, that became a big hit. Richard Monda is going to be joining us. Now, Richard was better known as Daddy Dewdrops, and he was uh, also in the Groovy Ghoulies. It was a cartoon and live anime, uh, live action uh, show back in the uh, 70s. And he was a child actor in the Eddie Cantor story at the age of 13. And also, he was in the movie The Midnight Story. And uh, all sorts of stuff. So uh, Richard's got a lot of great stuff coming your way in a few minutes right here on Screen and Beyond. So uh, Richard Monda, Daddy Dewdrops, Chicka Boom, coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, we have been very busy. I've been posting up more episodes of On Screen and Beyond. Got a lot of great uh, reactions on some of those episodes. And uh, one of the ones that I've put up, uh, re-put up, reposted, whatever you want to call it, is the one with Bob Barker. And, uh, of course, uh, Bob was an icon as far as game shows and everything. Great guy. And it was a very interesting interview and uh, one of my favorite ones that we've had over the years. So I hope you'll check that one out. And uh, we've been posting things up on Instagram and on Twitter and, of course, on uh, uh, Facebook sometimes. And uh, on Instagram, you can get us at On Screen and Beyond Podcast or on Twitter at On Screen, the letter N, Beyond. All right. So be sure to check us out there. The best way, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or whatever podcast provider you are on, subscribe to On Screen and Beyond. Because we are posting these, uh, all these old shows every day. We're trying to get more and more up for you. And uh, if, we, if you don't subscribe, then you're going to have to look back through all 500. Whereas if you subscribe, it'll automatically and free send it to you automatically. And uh, if it's something you're interested in, you can just uh, listen to it. If not, uh, just uh, delete it. Whatever you want to do. But uh, that's the easiest way because, boy, I'll tell you what, <laughs> we're up to probably, I don't know, maybe 130, some something like that right now that we have reposted. And, uh, you know, it's building up and building up. But once we get up to 500, you got a lot of stuff to go through. So anyways, I hope you'll check it out. Hope you'll subscribe, tell a friend, get the word out. We've got a lot of people all over the world listening to On Screen and Beyond. So uh, be sure to check it out. And what do you say? Let's get right into it. It's time for Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson floats in uh, from a theme park ride to the big screen on July 30th. And another film telling the life of Aretha Franklin comes our way on August 13th in the film Respect. And on August 27th, well, 
The Beatles' Let It Be gets another redo as they take the footage and uh, give us a new telling of the story called The Beatles Get Back. It arrives in theaters and on Disney Plus on August 27th. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies, Samaritan with Sylvester Stallone hits theaters on Friday, June 4th. And The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt lands on Amazon Prime on July 2nd. And Stillwater with Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin will be coming our way on July 30th. And that's it for upcoming new movies. Coming up next at On Screen and Beyond, with all the juggling around, let's find out when those sequels will be hitting theaters as theaters reopen here. And uh, let's see. It's coming up next. It's on Sequel City, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, the hitman's wife's bodyguard with Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson lands in theaters on June 16th, and the boss baby, Family Business, charges into theaters on July 2nd and August 13th. Don't Breathe 2, with Stephen Lang, makes its way into theaters. And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on Oscar and Beyond, let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, The Blue Bloods, the 11th season, comes to DVD on August 17th. Also on August 17th, you can get NCIS, the 18th season, as it flies onto DVD. 18th season, boy, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. And Shameless, the complete 11th season, arrives on July 20th on Blu-ray and DVD. And that's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. <laughs> movies on DVD, well, they, they seem to be slowing down on what's coming out on DVD here. But July 13th, Snatch, with director Guy Ritchie, will land on 4K and Ultra HD. And July 13th, Wrath of Man comes to DVD and Blu-ray. And Separation with Brian Cox lands on DVD on July 13th. That's it for movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. (laughs) TV and Entertainment Time, well, MacGyver may have been canceled, but Lucas Till, who played MacGyver, has joined the cast of an FX show called The Spook Who Sat by the Door. And he will be a CIA agent in the 60s and 70s. HBO Max has set July 8th as the premiere date for the reboot of Gossip Girl. And Debris has been canceled by NBC. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On. If you were around or if you listen to oldie stations, you if you were around 1971, you, you probably heard and loved the song Chickaboom. Don't you just love it? That's right. And it was by Daddy Dewdrop. Well, his real name was Richard Monda, and he was working on uh, Groovy Ghoulies, which was a cartoon show and with some live action mixed in with it. Uh, But also, what you may not know, he was a child actor, and he was in the Eddie Cantor story when he was 13 years old. When he was 16, he was in the Midnight Story, worked with a lot of great actors and actresses. And uh, Richard Monda... Daddy Dewdrops is coming up next to tell us all about it right here on On Screen and Beyond. 
1971, a song called Chickaboom, Don't You Just Love It, burst into the top ten on the pop charts, and it ended up being one of the biggest hits of 1971. Today on On Screen and Beyond, our guest is the man who sang that song. What many people might not know is that, as well as being a singer and songwriter, he was also an actor appearing in the film The Eddie Cantor Story and The Midnight Story with Tony Curtis. It's Danny Dewdrop himself, Richard Monda. Richard, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Now, Richard, it's a thrill to have you on here because I loved that song, for one thing. <laughs> and, Thank you. And, uh, you know, it was one of those songs that everybody just seemed to like, uh, to enjoy. But I noticed when I was doing my research that that song was originally uh, written for, or maybe it was in the Groovy Ghoulies. Uh, the Groovy Ghoulies? I can't even say it. <laughs> that, that's correct. Uh, myself and uh, two other guys, we, we produced the music for uh, the Groovy Ghoulies and... Uh, uh, the, the, actually, I lived just up the street from the, the production company, which did that 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 show. But uh, yes, the, that that's where it first was uh, introduced, and I just thought at the time that there's something more to this than that. You know, this this has much more of a of a of an impactful thing if I just revised the words. You know, that those words were about a computer and a this and a that and everything else kind of fit in with the show, uh, the Groovy Ghoulies, but. Um, uh, as as I as I messed with it and messed with it and, and finally and I said you know what this 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 chorus is so infectious that I'm going to go ahead and, and do it and that that's that's the beginning of it boy I'll tell you that's the way it started yeah there's there's see that's the thing there's so much that people don't realize you know that you know they hear the song they say it's a great song and the people you know we we know of you for that song but so much things that that we didn't know about you like this the groovy ghoulies and uh, then of course your earlier acting and things like that so it, it's always interesting to find out this stuff well you know you know as um my introduction into the music business was more of uh, as i was a record promoter to start out with i worked at moon glow records as a record promoter they, they had the righteous brothers wow and so i was promoting records so at that time I got into record production because they had a little studio, and so I was producing different things. I produced many different acts at that time, and um, uh, and and even myself. In fact, the original Daddy Do Drop song was was on Moon Glow, and it was called "She Didn't Have to Tell Me." It was about a guy going. Um, it was a crazy song too. It was. It had a kind of a you know a, a crazy thought to it, and it was. It was about a guy who goes, you know, she didn't have to tell me that all of these bad things about myself and all that. And it was, it was kind of funny, but but um, it, nothing ever happened with that song. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and and uh, so so I, I just always kept the Daddy Dewdrop character because in the, at that time it was Daddy Dewdrop and the Sugar Plum Sassafras Bubblegum Band. That's what <laughs> that's what it was. And so I I always kept that in mind and I thought you know the next time I come up with a song that works with this character I'm going to go with it and so I, I was really full on in, into production and then I signed with uh, Four Star Music as a songwriter and I've had maybe 40 national chart records you know since then I mean they all they all weren't big hits like Chickaboom believe me yeah. you know those are rarities that's a rarity but um yeah, as a songwriter, I, I've written for uh, Engelbert Humperdinck, Tom Jones, wow. uh, Kenny Rogers, 
Yeah. Wow. My, my first chart record was by a group called the Mods out of uh, Chicago, and it um, was a record. I mean, I've, I've had some bad luck, too, you know. This is a record that went to number one in Chicago for three months. Wow. And really, they never spread it successfully. I mean, I heard it here in Los Angeles on on the, the station here, but it, it, it never never got the impact that it, it did out of Chicago. And those they, th- those guys were the Beatles of Chicago, hmm. the, the mods. Yeah. And uh, so it, I, I felt, oh heck, I, I've got it now. But no, <laughs> hmm. that didn't that didn't happen. But but at least it was a, it was a national chart record. Yeah. But uh, uh, so so were a number of other things that I I did as a writer. So then when, when I had the chance to do this production for um, the Groovy Ghoulies, that's when, during that course of the time, I, 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 that's, that's when Chickaboom became, um, uh, uh, I became familiar with that. And then, and then I did, um, um, you know, I did a, a lot of other songs for the Groovy Ghoulies, but uh, um, nothing that ever was, was even uh, put into the pop market at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But so you can see, it went from acting to songwriting to record production to wow. chickaboom, you know. Now, is it true that you put together a backup band of studio mus- musicians that included oh. the uh, musical director for Neil Diamond? Oh, yeah. And yeah. As a matter of fact, I saw him um, uh, the other day. Uh, he, he, he wanted, I sang one of his songs on, on the Daddy Do Drop album, which is called Five Card Stud, and um and and uh, he uh, he called me up and he said, uh, uh, "Would you mind uh, coming over and and you know like lip syncing the the we're not I, heck no you know of course I'm going to do that his name is Tom Hensley by the way yep. and uh, he's he's a, a terrific guy I mean we we've had a, a long standing relationship for all those years you know but. Uh, and I, I went over and did that, you know, and I've heard from him a couple of times since then, you know, he's just, and he sent me a copy of it, and it looks pretty good, you know, and it, and it, it but, you know, I'm, I'm for anything fun, I'm for anything that's going to be fun, and, uh, yes, he was, actually, it was, is his very, <laughs> he tells a funny story, he says, this was my very first record date in Los Angeles, so I thought it was nothing. You come into the studio, you make a record, you go home, you turn on the radio, and there it is. And it stays, you know, it's a big hit. That's just how it works. He goes, little did I know. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> but he was with uh, uh, Neil Diamond for 40 years. Wow. 40 years. Jeez. And now there was also, uh, you had another member of uh, Redbone, right? Uh, Butch Rolera? Oh, yeah. Butch Rolera on, on drums was, uh, was, uh, was the drummer in that. Yes, that's right. So there was some, there were some really, you know, names there. Right. Yeah. And, Jeez. And and uh, uh, Bill Perry, who you probably wouldn't know, but he did a lot of Phil Spector dates, and I think he did the the John Lennon album. Wow. Um, that that Phil Spector did. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he did. Huh. And and that was it. Was just us, you know. Just, that was it. There, you know. The the Bill uh, played the bass. But he also played the guitar, so he put the guitar part on, and Bill and and uh, uh, Tom, who played the keyboards, as a genius that he was, and he put this uh, the vibes on there also, and uh, it was just us, the, mm-hmm. the four of us, you know. So wow. yeah. Now was it was it originally intended to be sort of like talking, or is that something you, know, you, you know, decided on? I always on? consider myself the very first rap artist. Yeah. <laughs> 
I I tried I I tried singing it didn't sound right so I just I went with yeah one night while sleeping I had a wild dream about a chick in a black bikini I thought that had more impact to it than than singing it and uh, and uh, uh, that's how that happened yes I mean I tried a lot of different things on that I mean I we 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 had the, we had a complete group come in and do background vocals and I walked in one day and I says you, we got to just get and we paid for it and everything I says you know we just Got to get rid of this. I don't like this at all. So I put the background vocals on myself. You know. Wow. Jeez. That's that's an incredible story. It's it's uh, just amazing. Well, I, you know what? I'll bet you if you ask other people who had a big songs like that, that the story will be kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we tried this, and then we something happened, and we had to do this and do this, and, and then all of a sudden it worked. And not only that. That that's not where it ended because as a record producer you're responsible for a lot of things and one and and I produced that record so one of the things I was really responsible for was was um, getting the mastering done so at that time MGM had a mastering studio now mastering means do you know what that means do you know do you you heard that term so, uh, yeah I know I know of it but I'm not you know you oh. can explain it better to me and my listeners oh, okay it's the it's the next step. After you come out of the recording studio, before it becomes possible to to become a record, so you have to make a master, and then you make a, um, a, a, a an item that will press the record off of that master. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do the mastering, what it's doing is it's measuring measuring the the highs, the lows, the this and that, and then boosting it up and making it sound as as better than the original your your tape your, the tape would would give you much more frequencies highs and lows and all of this so now we're coming to where we have to put it on a disc we want it to sound great there too so that, that it the mastering there are guys out there that are like gods of mastering you know that people will go to because they have the ability to 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 wrench off of the tape a fantastic uh, sound so when I went into the to MGM's um, mastering studio, I was I was there with the guy, you know, and 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 I dropped the tape off. I figured he's a genius, so I'm not going to mess with him. So when the, when it came back, he had wiped out all the bottom end, hmm. and which which is which is a little bit common sometimes, only because that that causes the, the your little stylus when you drop the needle on it to, to not have to work as hard you know so um i i took it back and i just listen put put the, make another master but don't touch the bottom end it, it, it had already been pressed uh, dj copies pressed the other way and uh the guy that was the head of the studio, his name was Danny Kessler. He said, "This doesn't sound like the same thing." That I said, "You're absolutely right." When we got the text for it, I says, "They took the bottom end off." So I went back. And he, he made it possible for me to go back, and I said, "Just leave it alone." And that's what they did. And uh, that's why Chickaboom has that big, big bottom end, you know, right, which yeah. was really, really important to the record. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it, it, everything meshed perfectly <laughs> it was just the right sound it 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 really it really sounded great on the radio i really liked it and uh, um it's it's one of those things you know where you go this this doesn't sound like anything that's on the radio but it doesn't disturb the radio mm-hmm. you know it 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 it's something that 
and and that I'm not alone in that. I mean, obviously, almost every single record that Bob Dylan made was that way. When it came on, you went, "Wow, this is taking me someplace that I I, mm. I, I wasn't before." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's not like nowadays. It's, it's you listen to the music now, and it's I mean, every female artist sounds <laughs> the same. It could be the same person for all we know, <laughs> except for Lizzo. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, there are exceptions, but I mean, in general, okay. a lot of times it's it's the same thing. It's 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 really changed the way, you know. Well, that's because the 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 record business has changed completely since there's no record stores anymore. Right. Yeah. And and record stores were an important process. Were an important step in the process of making a record popular. Because that was the only method the radio stations had of finding out whether a song was uh, popular or not was is it selling right you know and they, and they would call the, re- the 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 record stores yeah what do you, what what's selling what sold the most this week and that's how they would generate what their charts say now they have none of that what they have is um, is just the sites you know the the uh, the uh, Spotify and that and that kind of thing where where and and those are easy easily hypable so consequently it's very difficult i mean you'll, you'll you'll look at the charts and it'll be people you never heard of yeah yeah definitely yeah and 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 that's why because there really really isn't any record business anymore yeah yeah it's changed so much i mean I, we've had a lot of different artists on and uh, a lot of the artists i've talked from the 60s and 70s say that you know the record companies were stealing from them too and you know i mean so there's there's good and bad i guess you mean financially yes oh well, that goes without saying yeah yeah you don't even you don't even have to get into that that, that, that they didn't feel you deserved anything right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, I don't. I don't know an artist that has has had a hit that thinks that he got an accurate accounting. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had Tommy James on one time, and he was he was telling us all about that. And uh, oh, of course, it's yeah. Uh, well, he was on one of those little independents, and both for an independent, he had a, at least you know the, the first stuff, Pinky uh, Panky or whatever it was, and right. the, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> when you get a hit on those little tiny labels like that, boy, I mean. Uh, you just know. You just know you're not going to get an accurate account. Right. But, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. So it, how it, uh, how was it back then for you? I mean, were you you know were you swarmed like you know the the, the, the like the Beatles? You know, was it were were could you walk down the street, go into a store, or how did well, things? Well, I work didn't out? tour. Oh, so no tours be, be, because I, it wasn't it wasn't why I did it. You know, mm-hmm. I I. I'm a, I was always, I always considered myself a songwriter. And um, so for me, it was more or less, um, this was just something I did. You know, why did I do this? You know, is, is, the, is the question. It's only because, I, because of Sabrina and the Groovy Ghoulies. Because of the, when I was producing the mu- music for that, I came upon this, and it was the germ of an idea, and it developed into this. And in fact, in fact, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he says, "You know, your record did something to me that I think records should do to everyone." And that is, he says, "When when it came on, it took me to a place that I was not that I a totally different place than where I was at that moment." Mm-hmm. And I says, "Well, that 
is that a compliment? <laughs> you know? and he said, yeah. I said, oh, well, good. <laughs> yeah. That's great, you know. Yeah. But uh, um, And, and it, it did that to me, too. So I understood what he was saying, you know, because right. I knew it didn't sound like anything else on the radio. Yeah. But yet it was, it had that infectious chorus, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how did you get involved with the Groovy Ghoulies? Was... Well, my, my friend Richard Delvey and, uh, and his, his partner, um, Eddie Fournier, um, I knew them. They were friends. They were personal friends of mine. Ah, okay. So, and Richard, of course, he, he did Wipeout. Wipeout. He wasn't in the group, but he was the, basically the record company oh. of, of Wipeout. And, I mean, I met these guys because they were all part of the business. Uh, Eddie was an, a musician. He was in Richard's band. They, they, the band was called the Challengers. Yes, and yeah. remember them? Remember them? Oh, yeah. yeah. And and uh, so, so um, he he called me and he says, "Listen, we have a chance to produce the music for." Uh, and he wasn't a writer, so uh, but Eddie was and I was, so that we could create the music and we could produce it because he knew we were all three of us could produce records, so. That's how it started. He called me. He says, "You want to be part of this?" I said, "Sure." I, I was for anything, mm-hmm. you know. I, I'm, I still am. Yeah. You know, if someone calls me up and says, "You want to, you know, tap dance on a <laughs> radio show?" You know, I, I'll probably go. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> well, okay. So take us back to when you probably when you were born. <laughs> okay. How, how did you get involved in the business of acting? Because that was the first thing you started with, correct? Well, no. The first thing was I, I was playing vaudeville as a as a you know as a nine year old. Wow! And um, uh, my mother, who was possessed because um, I'm Italian from an Italian family, and she was telling me all the time that uh, uh, I had two strikes against me because I was Italian. I, I was like I said, 25 years old before I realized I didn't have two strikes against me. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was inbred, in you know, beaten into you, you know, when you're a young kid, you know. And so I I um I listened to her, and she she taught um, myself and my sister how to sing and dance, and actually how to perform, and actually do how to do certain things on a on a stage that would, you know, that cause things to be successful. And because of that, my sister and I did a. Um, did many many shows. In fact, we were playing vaudeville. We did a show with Dorothy Dandridge. We also did a, a show with uh, Frank Sinatra. Wow! And and people like that. And and but that was because we were like a a variety type of act. Mm-hmm. She, my sister and I, and we could sing. We could tap dance. And uh, with all of those skills, you see, um, then when when when. When we got a little bit older and that wasn't really working out anymore, and I, I think I rebelled against it or something, and you know, probably broke my mother's heart. But you know, I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And um, but but I did like the acting idea, and uh, we started doing plays. My sister did a bunch of plays; she was fantastic at it. And and uh, uh, I, I wasn't as good as she was, but uh, I was really good at uh, the film thing because. I didn't take it very seriously in those days. When you went out for a for a, a call, the, there would be hundreds of kids I'm sure. your age, and they were all jumping up and down and lighting their hair on fire or whatever it was to try and get your attention. <laughs> Me, 
I just said, if they don't like me, they don't like me. And I just kind of stood there. And, and I would always be the one that they'd go, who's that guy? <laughs> because he's not doing any of his right. other stuff, you know. <laughs> so, so I would always get a chance to have a special kind of meeting. And that's, that's how it started when I went out for the, for the Eddie Cantor story. And then they tested me. They gave me a, a, a screen test. And I tested good. And, uh, uh, and then they, they, when they found out, you know, that I could do all the rest of that stuff, I could, te- I could dance, I could sing, I could, which I did five songs in the Eddie Cantor story. I was only 13, and uh, and it was just a uh, it was just a major opportunity. In in, in fact, um, I read in in Red Book magazine. I've been looking at it ever since. I couldn't even afford to buy the magazine. I happened to go to the to the store and open it up and read a review mm-hmm. on the movie, and it said, "After Richard Monda leaves the stage, he leaves the screen. You can go home." And I go, "Oh my God." What a what a review! That's really a good review, but yeah. not so good for the movie, you know. Yeah. And, well, th- uh, but this wasn't a little part either. I mean, you actually oh, no. did several songs and things in this movie, right? I did five songs. I had, I had a third of the reel. Wow! Yeah, Jeez. yeah. That, it was a it was. A, so I'm going to tell you another story. <laughs> so so because of that. I just figured, well, whenever another part comes up at Warner Brothers, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in there. So another part came up, and I went out and I read for this part, and I and and I was brought in specially by the t- casting agent, and I read for the part, and I, I, I walked out and I thought, well, I have a chance to get this, and so I'm standing in in the the foyer there where the uh, casting director was, and there was a guy. Sitting in a, I'm, I'm going to tell this. I, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I can't help myself. Uh, there was a guy sitting in a chair in in the in the front in the in the office there, and he was and he and he was sitting in this chair, but he had a hat on, and it was kind of pulled down a little bit, and his and his feet were sticking out, and he was kind of leaning back in the chair. He couldn't really see you unless he unless he looked up from the, with his hat, you know. And so the casting director said, oh, oh, uh, Richard, come here for a second. Uh, Richard, I'd like you to meet. I'm going to tell you who it was in a second. And I saw him standing there with my hand out. And this guy does not even move. And I looked at her, and she goes, oh, he's like that. She mouthed that. Oh, he's like that. And I thought to myself, nobody's like that. It was James Dean. Oh, and uh, And it was... <laughs> And the part that I went out for was Rebel Without a Cause. Of course, Salminio got it, who became a friend of mine. <laughs> and uh, uh, but but because he, you know, he wasn't a musical artist. He was he was mainly just an actor. He they, he also was up for the Eddie Cantor story, but he didn't get it because he couldn't do the rest of it. And uh, um, but I could. And, uh, and 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 but James Dean, I'm telling you, he was a a moody a moody guy. He 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 was he didn't. Wasn't going to have any of my hands sticking out there, so. Wow. So he was. Yeah. He was like, he was on film. Yeah, he was. Wow, he was, and that, that's that's the success. That's the reason he was successful because he wasn't playing around. Wow, huh? That's he, he wasn't fooling. That was it. That was him. Yeah. Now you were also in the Midnight Story. With Tony Curtis, right? Yeah, the great, one of the great guys of all time. Did Tony you realize Curtis. you were, I mean, 
that this was Tony Curtis? <laughs> well, I knew it was Tony Curtis, but uh, it was also Gilbert Rollins, who mm-hmm. was um, um, a huge star at the time, you know, and Marissa Pavan, who was uh, uh, Anna Marie Alberghetti's sister, and uh, uh, it was just a, a group of people that could really do it, you know. Yeah. And now Tony, he he, he was just. I, I couldn't tell you how great he was because I would underestimate it. He was just the most fantastic guy. He would never miss an opportunity to say hello to you. To and 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 right away we we formed this um, this friendship. And um, he knew that I was a sucker for magic, and he had done the Houdini movie, yes. if you remember correctly. Yes. Oh yeah, and. Um, so he, almost daily, he would say, hey, come over here. And, and, and he would have a table there, and he would go, and he would put these cards on, and he'd go, go pick a card. And I'd pick the card, and he'd go, okay, put it back in the, in the deck. Don't show me. You know, put it back in. And he would do something, and then he'd go, is this your card? And it would be my, the card, and it would just drive me crazy. I would go, <laughs> how in the hell would he do this? So I would go to the magic store. After after getting off the set, I'd have my mom take me to the magic store, and I would say, "I saw this trick. Tony Curtis did this trick for me, and I can't figure out how he did it." He says, "Well, there's probably in that book over there. You can buy that book." So I, I would buy the book, and I would go home and I would read it, and, it would, and, and I remember it would say, "Well, you crimp the card when you take it." And he's going, "So I would come the next day, and I would be waiting for him. He go, "Come here," and I go over there, and he goes, Shh. "I said, let me tell you, I know how you did that last trick." He goes. You do? How? I go, you crimp the card. He goes, really? Okay. Oh, here. And he, and he put the, 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 the cards on the table. He said, pick a card. I'd pick it. He'd look at it. I mean, I'd look at it. He said, and put it back in. Now, he, now, this time, he wouldn't touch the cards at all. He just figured out a way to get them together like <laughs> without touching them. So he could say, "You don't. I'm not crimping the card, am I? No, no, no." no. <laughs> and he would go, "Is this your card?" And I would just fall down on the. I would just go, "How? This is impossible. It's like miracles going on." But of course, magicians know how to do it. You right. Know? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and he had he had learned all of that stuff from doing the uh, Houdini movie, mm-hmm. and and he he was really good at it. Really good because because of his personality, first of all. Yeah. His personality was exactly as you saw him on screen. He had a, he was fun-loving. He was uh, handsome, really handsome. He was outspoken. And and I'll just tell you one other story. So the last scene in this movie, The Midnight Story, was Gilbert Roland is in bed and he's dying, right? Actually, what had happened was, the story, in a nutshell, was he murdered somebody, and they were, and they, and they, 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 they couldn't prove it, but they thought they could, and and, and, and he murdered a priest, see, mm-hmm. and they thought they could prove it, but they, they were still chasing him, trying to prove it, and, and Tony Curtis was a cop, so he was the guy who was after him. So, in the last scene, he was my uncle, and and my my mother and my uncle and all that. We were all there watching, you know, just looking at him as he was laying there. It was one of those real somber scenes, and the director, you know, gave us a moment to get in the mood and all this. And, and at, at the precise moment that uh, um, uh, Tony Curtis was supposed to enter the room, 
you know, and he he had the evidence at that point, you know, and so that was how the re- resolution of this movie was going to be. And so we're all there, and, and the director's getting us in the mood. You, you know that he's dying. He's, he's blah, blah, you know, all these words and stuff, and the lights are low and everything. And, and so he and, then, and he even went like this. He went, action. Like that. He didn't even, he didn't even say um, it, it loud. He just said, action. Like that. And so all of a sudden, the door flies open and Tony Curtis comes rolling into the room and he gets up like a you know like a wrestling star would you know, he's going what's going on here and it just set the mood up to such an extent that it took us a long long time to get back to me because all we could think of is he's going to do it again oh, he's going to do it again. <laughs> but he, he was he was a fantastic guy hmm. a fantastic guy yeah. Uh, I I had a chance to. Uh, there's a place in Los Angeles. Do you know Los Angeles at all? Yes, a little bit. Yep. Yeah. There's a, there's a place down in Beverly Hills. It's called Juniors, and a lot of people go there for lunch and stuff. And so I happened to be there with some friends, and uh, I noticed he was sitting at the t- at the thing over there. I said, hey, they said, wow, there's Tony Curtis. Well, they didn't know that I, you know, have the cojones to just walk over there you know which i did and i said hey we did a movie together and then he remembered everything and it was it was it was like these people thought man that that guy's got guts he just goes over there and starts talking to tony <laughs> they didn't know i knew him you know so but he was great you know mm, wow. just a great guy I, I i i i miss him yeah you know because because of and then and then after that he did um he did that that movie with uh, Marilyn Monroe, something like it, hot. Yes, oh yes. You know, yeah. he, he became a huge, huge star. That's yeah. for sure. He was a big star by by that time, anyway. But that I think put him that 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 showed exactly what he could do, and he dressing up like a woman and all that, and just just ter- just terrific. Right. He was fantastic. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of dressing up, uh, in '72, and I can't say I've seen this, but the, the ABC Saturday Superstar movie. You played a live-action segment on that as Dracula. Is that correct? Well, uh, I was um, the Dracula character in uh, the filmation. Um, let me see. How do I, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it right now. The picture of myself, Eddie, who was the other guy, other, one of the other two guys, and then a, then a friend of ours named Jeff Thomas. He was so I was Drac. Eddie was Wolfie for Wolfman, yep. and um, uh, Jeff was um, uh, Frankie for Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we we did that a couple of times. We we did live we did a live performance at um, um, the Magic Castle. Oh in, yes, uh, in Los Angeles. Yes, and it wasn't really much of a performance as it was. Oh, here they are, the Groovy Ghoulies, and we just came, went out and you know just kind of acted like that, but. I, I, I don't remember what the other thing that you're talking about because I, it, it wasn't me. They did have another group that played live music in Las Vegas, and I didn't do that. Hmm. I didn't do that. But, yeah. but any photographs that you see of uh, human beings portraying the uh, groovy ghoulies are myself, yeah. Eddie, and Jeff Thomas. Wow. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And now... Uh, you did a few other things over time, uh, but one of the things that struck me when I saw it was that um, you and and we've had this person 
uh, as a guest here, uh, Lloyd Kaufman was a guest, and of course he's the head of Troma Films. And you were in some of some of his films, I understand. Uh, I was in I was in a couple of those films, but the one um, um, uh, the one that I liked the the, the most was a, a, a movie that originally was called Vacu Sapien. Which was about a guy who falls in love with a vacuum cleaner, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like a Lloyd Kaufman movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I used to, I told him one time. I says, you know, I think this is a love story. He says, I think you're crazy. This is a, a guy falling in love with a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> but it was written very much like a love uh, like a love story. And uh, Michael Gerard was the um, is the writer and director, and Michael is a genius when it comes to that that kind of stuff. I mean, who could make something cohesive on I know. <laughs> a guy falling in love with a vacuum cleaner. I I think they've called it several things since then. I forget what they called it, but the original, the working title was Vacuum Sapien because of the vacuum cleaner, you know. Hmm. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, one other thing uh, that you were on, uh, of course, you were playing yourself at that time. Uh, you were on the Midnight Special, correct? Singing, um, I presume you sang Chickaboom? No, I didn't. I, I, I had a group that, at that particular time, and um, we had a, a, a record out. We were on Buddha Records, and uh, I did that. And, 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 and at the same time, we backed up Wolfman Jack. Hmm. who I produced um, uh, an album on. I produced several albums on him. And um, I could actually do the voice at one time. I, I could I could fool his wife, you know. So <laughs> I was pretty good at it. He was a good guy, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's, I, I would have loved to have ta- interviewed him, believe me. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, well, he, he's, he's what... You, just what you think you're going to get is what you're going to get with him. Yeah. He, he he didn't pull any punches. He he was a, he was a straight up good guy. Yeah. So what what did you sing on on Midnight Special then? I think. Do you know? <laughs> I'm, trying remember. Do you I'm trying to remember. It was on Buddha Records. It never meant anything. Um, uh, Boogie till my brains fall out. It was called. Huh. I don't remember I'm that. Boogie one. till my brains fall out. Boogie till my brains fall out. Like that. That's the way it went. It was one of those yeah. things. And uh, and then and then Wolfman came out and we backed him up. Yeah. What was he singing? I'm wondering. I'm I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And he didn't do he didn't do too many songs. I mean, you know, he did clap well, for the did, Wolfman. I did, I did like four albums with him. You know. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I, that, that one I didn't do. I didn't do that clap for the Wolfman. Yeah. I didn't do that one. But uh, but I did. I'll tell you what I did do with him was a song called "I Ain't Never Seen a White Man." And um, this, I thought I thought this was going to be a monster a monster hit. Um, it's a song that I had written, and I wrote it because um, I was I was uh, producing a group called the Preachers out of uh, Enid, Oklahoma, and in that group was a African American female singer named Ray, and uh, she, I had them over for dinner during the course of production. I had them over for dinner, and uh, and my wife jabbed me, and she said, "Look, look over there, you know," and it was my daughter who was feeling Ray's hair. Ray was leaning over and let her feel her hair. You know, my, my daughter had never felt uh, any African-American uh, hair or pr- probably been around too many African-Americans as it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And so she was feeling her hair. 
And so we didn't say anything. We just left it alone. And a couple of days later, she came over to my wife and she goes, what color am I? And my mm. wife goes, um, well, you're, you're white. She goes, no, I'm not. I'm pink. And she looked <laughs> at and, and and I went, oh, my God, that's exactly right. You're not white. Nobody's white. Right, yeah. Nobody's black and nobody's red and nobody's yellow. Mm-hmm. And and that's the essence of this of this song. It's called "If You Ask a Child What's White, a Child Will Tell You Snow." Right. If you ask a child what's black, a child will tell you coal. Mm-hmm. If you ask a child what's red, a child will tell you fire. You ask a child what's yellow, a child will tell you the sun. I ain't never seen a white man yeah. or a black man or a red man or a yellow. The only man I've ever seen looks just like you and me. Right. And that's the essence of this song. Now, I've tried it a number of times, and the first one was by, by Wolfman. And I figured, God, that this is going to make the point. But, you know, it's a funny thing about when you're doing something that has a racial bent to it. I've tried it a couple of times to try to, um, to get my point across. It's very difficult to do that. Hmm. Very difficult. I, I found that... Uh, I mean, I, I offer it now. Um, if you went to my website, let's say daddydewdrop.com, yep. you can download not only the, 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 the latest version of it, where I used kids and everything, singing out, trying to, anything I could to make the point. Um, you can download the music and you can download the lyrics that, that uh, uh, my granddaughter designed these little flowers and put around it and we typed it up and, and you can download the, mu- the, the music on a uh, MP3. And it comes. All you got to do is push a button in there, and you got it on your computer. Yeah. And uh, um, I mean, I would love people to do it because uh, it's just something that I would I would like people to to think about. Yeah. And 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 to see if they agree with me or not agree. And if they don't agree, I would like I would like to hear that. I would yeah. like to hear what's the argument against this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, it I, sounds, I sounds like know. there's no truer words, really. I mean. <laughs> well, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. it? Maybe, maybe Brent. Maybe you can do it. Maybe you can download it and see what you think. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, okay. definitely. It's right there on on DaddyDoDrop dot com. Yeah. Now, are you on any other socials or or just on uh, your website or? No, I'm on Facebook. Facebook and uh, awesome. and I believe I'm on Instagram. I think my granddaughter put me there and uh, uh, some other places. Uh, uh, the, the the popular ones, Twitter. You yeah. Know. Yeah. <clears throat> and. Uh, uh, I, I don't work it, you know. I don't. I don't do that. I. I just. Uh, I'm still, you know. I'm still writing songs. Yeah. Still. I'm st- yeah. Yeah. I'm still. I'm still doing. It. I still, you know. I mean, it's. It's. It's a big thrill to me to once in a while hear one of my songs and, and I, I go, yeah. Hmm. I remember that day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a long time ago. Do you hear? Uh, do they? I'm, I'm sure Chickaboom has been used in. In some movies, I would think over time, hasn't it? It 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 has been, but nothing um, in America. I think it, the last one we heard about was something in Australia, and then, um, um, but it's been a commercial. It was a commercial for um, Burger King, and it was also a commercial for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those songs. I mean, you know, they use songs from the seventies all the time. <laughs> yeah, they do. I'm, I'm, I keep waiting. I keep thinking one of these days they're going to do it. You know. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I've never I've never talked to anybody that said, you know, I just just hated that song. <laughs> <laughs> how could you How could you hate it? I mean, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, it's a feel good never, song. I've never had that experience. You know. I mean, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 a very um, it's 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 wonderful to be in the position that I'm in, and. Uh, to know that there are people out there that really, you know, there was a guy one time, he said, you know, your song changed my life. And I, would, and I wanted to say, how? <laughs> but, but I didn't. I didn't. I left it alone. I figured I'm, I'm going to just accept this and I'm going to go on with my life. You yeah. know, that's good. Yeah. But, well, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've even enjoyed, I've enjoyed the music business for, you know, all the time that I'm in it. To, to, and, 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 in spite of all of that, my degree from college is in mathematics. I know. I saw that. It's like, how how does a math, mathematician become a, become an actor and a, and a well, singer? Well, see, that, that was still in the days when I thought that I had two strikes against me. Now, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I figured, well, I better I better be a school teacher or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when I graduated from college, I was already married with a child, yeah. and uh, so I. Um, I had to make a living somehow or another, so I went to work at Lockheed for 17 months. Oh wow! And and it was during that time that uh, I, I was offered a chance to uh, you know go into the music business, and and I and I and I took it. I took the chance. It was a it was a risk. It oh, was yeah. a big big risk, you know. And that was when I went with uh, four star with um uh, with uh, um uh, um Moongo Records. Yep. And uh, and I was like I said I was promoting records I was producing records I was writing songs I was doing all the things that you know just I was just doing everything and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was a little teeny label so it didn't matter you know I mean I could I could do everything I mean I, he didn't care if I went in the studio for you know ever you yeah. know it, as long as I did the other jobs that I had to do I was okay so mm-hmm. I did and uh, then <clears throat> then uh, something happened and that kind of went away and then I went to uh, I, I met a guy in the middle of the street you know and uh, his name was Dave Burgess and uh, 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 Richard Delvey the guy that was <laughs> that same guy who was part of the filmation thing introduced me to uh, to, to Dave Burgess and Dave was um, one of the principals in Four Star Music you know they had released me please release yeah. me let me oh, yes. yeah. am I that easy to forget a lot, a lot of country standards and stuff yeah. so oh, yeah. i went to see him and he and he said okay well we i'll you could be a writer here for like 50 bucks a week or something like that you know meanwhile i got uh, kids you know <laughs> or at least one no i had two and so i um i i i just worked at it until you know i i found a way to get some success as a writer and then uh, parlayed that into record production and that's that's what happened. I just got lucky. Yeah. Jeez. Now, do you ever uh, get asked to uh, to to perform? Uh, you know, Chickaboom and I. You know, I did a few personals back back in the day. Yeah. I, I did, but they were mainly for record radio stations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would say, "We're putting a show on in Augusta, Georgia, whatever. Will you come out and do do it?" You know. And, and yeah. so, I I did I did do a few of those. But I never put together a band and started touring around the country. Mm-hmm. You know, I just—it was just—you know—I knew one, I knew something because uh, I know a lot of people that did that, and I knew that if I would have done that, 
I would have fallen into the same trap that 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 most of them do, and I probably never would have come home. Mm-hmm. And and that and, and that I, I knew I didn't want that. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, that that was not that was not my objective in life, and consequently, I never put a lot of value on money. I never looked at things like I got to do this to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I always looked at it like I wish there were no money. I wish everything was just. I wish it was just something that we could, you know, do away with. And right. uh, yeah. just let people live on their on their talents, you know, and yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah. But it isn't that way, and yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately. But I, I still kind of maintained that thinking, and that's why I never went out on the road. Mm-hmm. I could have. Oh, I was, sure. I, I was offered opportunities many times. Yeah, you oh. know, but I just never, I never did. And uh, and then I had another chart record on um, on um, Invasion Records. Uh, about ten years after Chickaboom, it was called Nanu Nanu. Nanu Nanu. Now, did, now you you must have got that because of the the uh, absolutely the, the, yeah. yeah um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, go like, Mark and Mindy. Mark and Mindy. Mindy. Yes, yeah, my, yeah. My, my my mind went blank. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh sure. Um, but but it, it was a really a disco. I, I I thought it was great. I thought it, I thought it was really really good, and and and, and it did get uh, um, it it did get a lot of in small markets. It got a lot of attention, even even number one positions in in small markets. But it, because the label was so tiny, yeah. that it didn't really have a have the ability to spread it. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. But that you know that's okay too. I, I'm I'm not. I don't dwell on those things. Yeah. yeah. Well, Richard, I, I want to finish up with one final question here. Okay. Taking us away from your music, your acting, your, your producing, and everything else you've done, it's, it's, it just seems to keep going on and on of the things you've done. <laughs> <laughs> but when you sit back and relax, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Boy, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm I'm a kind of a guy who will skip around uh, on on the on TV, but I, I I used to like the Big Bang Theory. I thought that was really clever and, mm-hmm. and really funny. And uh, funny is kind of what I'm I'm looking for. You know, I uh, when I I was telling a story the other day. To somebody, and, and you know, and my wife was there, and she she remembered this opportunity. She remembered this situation. I I was in Hollywood with my kids, and I saw this this theater that was showing a film, and it and it and it said the producers, but it didn't say anything else. It just said the producers, and so I thought uh, maybe that would be a good movie to see. It's about somebody producing movies and stuff. This is probably something. So I bought a ticket, and all four of us went to the went in the theater. We're sitting in the in the theater. We got popcorn and everything. And the thing comes on, and the minute that Dick Sean came walking out there in that Nazi outfit, 
I fell out of the seat onto the floor. I didn't know it was a comedy. Can you imagine mm-hmm. going to see that movie not knowing it was a comedy? Yes. <laughs> it just it, it it took me. I, I wasn't almost able to recover. It was it was so funny. I, I thought it was so funny. And so when you talk about favorite movies, I've, I've watched every version of that, even the second version that was the remake. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Huh. Yeah. And so, so, so I'm kind of a comedy guy. I'm, I'm always looking for a, a, a comedy. I mean, I, I like some. I like that uh, that those movies with Jim Carrey too, when he was mm-hmm. doing those funny things about, you know, Ace Ventura and, and Pet. Yeah, yeah all of those. Yeah, yeah. Pet, pet, detective movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and. Uh, um, you asked me another question. What? What else? TV shows what? and movies. Now oh, and TV, of the past. Well, yeah, Big Bang, you know, because of, of the comedy influence to it. And and uh, I've tried the movie, the the show um, Young Sheldon, because I thought it might be the the same thing, but it it isn't the same thing. And mm-hmm. and he, when as a child, he almost becomes hateful. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Be, I'm not being critical, but. It, it, it's it, he becomes so irritated. Um, it bothers me. Yeah. So, so I tried though a few times. Yeah. I, I think that kid is a great actor. Oh yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, Richard, it's been fun having you here, and I oh, cannot thank you. thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. Thank, thank you for letting me ramble on like I do. <laughs> and it, it is a pleasure, and uh, it, it's such an honor to meet you. Oh, listen, it was my pleasure, and it was my honor, because, you know, at my age, I'm um, uh, I'm always up for anything that sounds like a good time, and this, and it, this sounded like a good time to me. And a big shout-out going out to Rich and Monda for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. Lots of stories, interesting things yeah, that uh, I didn't know. I didn't know he was an actor until uh, I started doing research on him, and I gave him a, a little uh, connection there. We got in, in touch, and uh, it was great having him on. Uh, Daddy Do Drops right here on On Screen and Beyond. So uh hope you enjoyed that one. If you are enjoying all the episodes of On Screen and Beyond, be sure to leave a review. A nice five-star re- review would be great if you could do that to help people get to know about On Screen and Beyond and all the great people we have had to uh, hear their stories and uh, everything that they've done. And we appreciate it. And also, if you could tell a friend, you know, get the word out. Let people know that there's all kinds of great actors and actresses and musicians and and band members and everything else uh, that are coming here to On Screen and Beyond and telling us their story. It's a lot of fun to hear what they have to say directly from them rather than some stuff you read on the Internet. Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's not always true. And uh, this helps... uh, you know, clear the stories up, and uh, it's always interesting to hear what they have to say. So, hope you enjoy all these episodes of On Screen and Beyond. Still working on the website, trying to get the the program that I uh, can update it with going. Uh, have some issues with that. That's trouble with, uh, you know, computers. You you know, if if you don't keep updating them, and and then they crash. The old software doesn't work on the new ones, and oh, uh, it's just. <laughs> it's, it's a pain, but uh, hopefully we'll get that going in a little bit. 
And uh, that's uh, that's it. That's a wrap for this episode of On Screen and Beyond. Got a lot of great episodes coming your way still each week as we repost our old episodes. And every week we bring you another episode of On Screen and Beyond. Got some interesting ones coming up. So I hope you'll join us next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <laughs>